Good morning. And if you're visiting, we welcome you. We all welcome y'all. And if you'd like, after service, you can remain with us for a time of fellowship in the fellowship hall, uh, just bes- behind the sanctuary here. We'd love to say hi. And, and those of you that this is your church, we know you'd love to say hi. Amen? Amen. So let's make sure we say hi. All right? Now, to continue in our time of worship this morning, um, we move towards the uh, exposition, God's Word. So if you would, open your Bibles, please, to Romans 8, or take out your iPad or iPhone, which I'm getting used to. That's not my style, that's for sure. But uh, this younger generation, that's the way they do things. And hey, if you have a Bible app on your, in your little deal thingamabob, open that thing up to Romans 8. <laughs> it took me a while to get used to it. I was like, I cannot believe people are on their phone. I couldn't, you know, and then someone informed me, you, you know they're on, they have a Bible app, right? And I said, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> I am old school. Still, it's not my style. I wouldn't do it, but that's all right. That's all right. We'd rather have you that, have that than not anything. Amen? All right, this morning, beloved, we're going to look at verses 26 and 27 of Romans chapter 8. And you'll notice that Paul begins with the word likewise there in verse 26. And he's drawing a a comparison here probably to the reference that he's already made of the Holy Spirit back in verses 16 and 17. This is why we do biblical exposition. We go verse by verse. It's important that we get the whole context and the flow of what's going on. So I will cover some ground we covered last week. I don't believe I was able to emphasize enough of what's in those verses. So we're going to cover more of that. And then we're going to get into verses 26 and 27, which has to do with God the Holy Spirit in taking our prayers. Prayers for which we cannot find words into the presence of the Father. So as believers, you see there's an engaged activity here. It's the sinner saved by grace and dwelt by the Holy Spirit himself. And we are engaged with him moment by moment, day by day. But I think the likewise here that Paul's referring to takes us back to verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, enabling us to cry what? Abba, Father. That intimate term is the privilege of those who are in God through the Son. A wonderful privilege. And now in verses 26 and 27, he's going to address a second thing that the Holy Spirit does. He not only witnesses with our spirits that we are indeed children of God, and as we've been studying, the assurance of your salvation doesn't come from the preacher. It doesn't come from one another. We remind ourselves of what Christ has done. The assurance of your salvation comes by the Holy Spirit. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So he not only witnesses with our spirits that we are his, but as we'll learn today, he also helps us in our weaknesses because we are incredibly weak. You can say amen to that. 
So if you would, please stand and we'll read Romans 8. I'm going to go back to verse 18 and read through verse 27. This again is the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, We now pray for your ministerial work to touch our hearts. Lord, please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts of understanding with what is before us this morning. And I ask according to your grace that you'll enable me to proclaim the truth that is here before us with clarity, not in my power, not in my strength, but by the power of your spirit, I pray. Lord, draw us in, we pray. Help us to lay aside the concerns and the anxieties, Lord, of of this past week or what lays ahead, we ask, please. That we might understand something more greatly with regard to your presence and ministry in our lives for the glory of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's important that we remember. Okay? Again, it's important that we remember, beloved. Romans 8 is written to confirm that those whose faith and trust is in Jesus Christ have entered into a category. And that is what's referred to as the no condemnation category. Your status as a believer, having faith and trust in Christ alone, your status, no condemnation. Christ bore your condemnation for sin. So by way of Christ's life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His rule and His reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords, it's clear all those who are in Christ are eternally 
secured. That is, they're saved, and they're saved forever. And it's the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Godhead, who is the divine agent that secures and assures your salvation. Now, it's important we understand the distinction between eternal security and the assurance of eternal life. Okay? Eternal security is a fact. It's most certain in the mind of God. All those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. They're sealed, and they will be glorified. Okay? That is a certainty. But assurance is the confidence within of that certainty. And although you may not feel it on some particular day, that does not negate the certainty of it. Okay? If you're in Christ, it's certain that you have everlasting life. Assurance is a feeling of that fact. Peter said in 2 Peter that your calling and election, it is sure to God. Okay? It's certain because it's his work that's accomplished the eternal life provided you in Christ. But it's not always sure to you. Therefore, Peter says, be all the more sure, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And he goes on to say, because of this truth, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement to your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Sure to who? Sure to God? No, sure to you. Because it's a fact. It's most certain those in Christ are saved. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. In Romans 8 and verse 13, what did we read? We are debtors no longer to the flesh, right? That's stated in the negative, which means we're indebted to the Holy Spirit to be putting to death the deeds of the body. What do we sin with? Our hands, our feet, our legs, our tongue. We have the Spirit so we can put these things to death. We're engaged with the Holy Spirit. This is a glorious grace act of God, and assurance is a sweet grace of God. Now, when we talk about Christ's work, far too often we only deal with, you know, how we're saved. How it is we're saved, how it is we're uh, declared or made right with God. And sometimes I believe we're so enamored with who we are in Christ, we're justified by faith alone. It's important that we remember that. But sometimes we're so enamored with that that our growth is actually stunted because we haven't really come to know Jesus, the one who provides the no condemnation category for us. Amen? Some Christians remain ever immature, never growing beyond focusing on their position in Christ. It's very important we understand our position. But they don't grow because they don't get to know Him who provides the righteous position. 
And the more we know Jesus, the more we'll see in our own lives the very things that God wants to change. God is unchanging, right? But we are ever changing to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what he does in our lives. We're engaged with the Holy Spirit, and that enables us to get to know Jesus better. We're being conformed into his, into his very image as we read over and over again. And we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the Holy Spirit prompts us and leads us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's just never totally satisfied because we're forever growing. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and he puts fingers, his finger on things in our lives that he says, it doesn't belong here. You're a new creature in Christ. It doesn't belong. And he convicts. He doesn't what? He doesn't condemn because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Never confuse conviction with condemnation. Believer. If you're not a believer, you're already condemned because you're not in Christ. So listen today and I pray that the Holy Spirit is moving you from unbelief to belief, to move you from one category to the other. So I I, I want to spend a little more time on the groaning of spiritual life before we get to the prayer life of the believer. The groaning of the spiritual life. When, when, When the Holy Spirit does put his finger on those things, it is painful. We do groan because we're in a body. Okay? The truest you is Christ in you. Your truest identity is that you're in Christ. Okay? That is who you truly are. But, but with, within your very life, there's an intruder. It's called sin. And we all have it. We all still struggle with it. And those who have the Spirit of God groan because they're in a body that is not yet glorified. And only believers can, can have this kind of groaning. Only believers can have this kind of tension. And we should rejoice in it. Now, countless books have been written on the doctrine of sanctification, meaning holiness. Countless books are written on justification. Okay, The forensic declaration that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that God looks at you and he sees his son and you stand in positional righteousness. That's good. And we need to know these things. But rarely is a word said, and if so, as John Owen said, very scarcely about God the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives with regard to salvation. Now, we've been studying it for weeks. Notice the Holy Spirit's work here in Romans 8. In verses 2 and 3, He, the Holy Spirit, freed us from sin and death. In verses 4 through 11, he changes our nature and actually enables us to fill the law. Not in order to be saved, but because we're saved. In verses 12 and 13, he empowers us for victory over sin because we have new DNA. The very nature of God. Our nature has been transformed. So we're able to put sin to death. And then in verses 14 to 16, we saw that he confirms our adoption as sons and daughters of God. He assures us of this fact. And it's the Holy Spirit, you see, who who guarantees our eternal glory. He guarantees it. And that's the theme of verses 17 to 30. 
The Holy Spirit maintains our no condemnation standing, preserving us to the end. Verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Whoever doesn't have the Spirit is not the Lord's. But everyone who does is protected by him forever. That's why you can't lose your salvation. Amen? Do we know this? If you're saved, you cannot lose your salvation because you had nothing to do with it. He had everything to do with it. And if someone walks away and denies Christ, that was a man-made faith. It wasn't a faith gifted by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament refers to this as the sealing of the Spirit. The sealing of the Spirit. And beloved, the seal of salvation is not baptism. The seal of salvation is no other sign, no other outward sign. The seal of salvation is the Holy Spirit himself. 2 Corinthians one twenty two, Christ has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as guarantee. As a guarantee. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. How often do we read over the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation? It's easy, isn't it? Who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That's glory, baby. That's glory. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're sealed. You can't break that seal. Rome put a seal over the tomb of Christ with the mark of the governor. You remove the seal, you die. This is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it another way. He says, he who begun a good work in you will perfect it in the day of Jesus Christ. The work he's begun, he will complete this work. The Holy Spirit guarantees our future for which we at this momentary time groan with anticipation. And we not only groan, but the scripture says creation groans. Remember that? Creation is groaning, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Groaning, friends, is is an expression of pain of dismay. It's an inarticulate cry of distress, so to speak. An inarticulate cry of distress. It's used repeatedly here in Romans 8. Creation itself is groaning. Now, creation doesn't know what it's groaning about. Right? The stars, the earth, the mountains, the river, the valleys, even the animals. They don't have the wherewithal of understanding. Yet, All of creation is groaning with anticipation for the curse of sin to be removed. Because this planet is the stage for God's plan of redemption to be played out. A new heaven and a new earth. That's the sole purpose of the entire universe. And we see that in verse 19, verse 21, verse 22. And as we wait... Along with the groaning creation, we also groan. We dwell in the age of the already and the not yet. The already established kingdom of Jesus Christ, but not yet fully consummated kingdom of Christ.
Christ. We live between the first and second advents of Jesus. And we groan with anticipation. We're partakers of the divine nature. That's your true identity. So in the waiting, we still experience pain. We still experience suffering. We still experience fear and doubt. And we still experience sin. Amen? But nevertheless, as as redeemed people, having the first fruits of the Spirit, we're sealed to the end, and yet we groan within ourselves, verse 23. Okay, we groan. And what makes us groan? The Spirit of God makes us groan. He's the cause of the groaning. Okay, you're still in a body. The Spirit indwells you. And if you're not a believer, you don't groan about things such as this. We don't groan because, uh, or unbelievers don't groan because they sin. They might groan because of the consequences of their sin, but they don't groan because they sin. We do. Because we have what spirit? The Holy Spirit of God. We're joined to the Lord as one by the residing presence, the regenerating work of God, the Holy Spirit. You're one with him. That's why you're not condemned. If we weren't sin, if we weren't saved, rather, as I said, we would never groan because of sin. We understand something that the world cannot understand. We're no longer natural men and women. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them. He has no capacity. And anyone who thinks that the teaching of the Spirit of God, the teaching of the Word of God, the the, the finished work of Jesus Christ is foolishness, folly, they're not in Him. They only live to fulfill the desires of the flesh. We groan because oftentimes we fulfill the desires of the flesh rather than killing them. Anybody besides me? This is why we groan, beloved. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. The world groans because of the consequence, and they groan because they, 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 they don't know how to get rid of their guilt and shame. We're in Christ, and we know that our guilt and shame is covered and removed, paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we groan when we sin. We anticipate the day of glory. By having the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says we are the temple of God. Amen? We're the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, waiting eagerly for the day of redemption. That is glory. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the tent, which is our heavenly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Guarantee. I've heard very little taught on this subject 
That is the reality of groaning as a Christian? Very little. And I've heard even less about the Holy Spirit's connection to this groaning within the believer. That's why I've been absolutely mesmerized. I don't know how many times I've read and studied Romans 8 in my life. But by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in my own life, this is, this is just like revelatory truth. How many times do we breeze over the work, the power, the person of the Holy Spirit? That's why I think men in our Thursday night studies, once we break and get back into it in March or so, we're going to study John Owen's work on the Holy Spirit. Amazing. So in verses 18 to 25, Paul has been helping us deal with our suffering, this present condition in this fallen world as sinners, albeit saved by grace. And we groan. And our present suffering is helped, Paul says, by your realization of certain future glory because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. You truly are not condemned. So the hope of glory helps us cope. It helps us hold out within these present sufferings. Verse 25, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, hope is rooted in faith. Hope is the desire for something to happen. Faith is the certainty that it will. And only you as believers have the certainty that you will be glorified. That this will come to an end. That you will be in his presence. When you see him, you will see him as he is. And when you see him as he is, we will then be like him. Can you wait for the day? Paul says now in verse 26, likewise. Okay, so now we go from the groaning of dwelling here in this body, on this earth, along with a creation that's also groaning, anticipating the day as the stage is set for a new heaven and a new earth. Now, let's talk about our communion with God. We have a union with him, sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's forever, it's eternal, it's guaranteed. Now, what about our communion? That's called prayer. It's called prayer. Likewise, or in the same way, is a connecting phrase. As hope sustains us in our time of suffering, the Spirit sustains us in our weakness. And I I don't believe that's the connection. Some commentators do believe that that's the connection. I think this is more connected to verses 15 and 17 with regard to our assurance by the Spirit for whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. This is another way to know that we're sons of God, beloved. This is another assurance for those who are in Christ. And now I want you to notice the next point is the groan of struggling prayer. Okay, when we talk about prayer, how do most Christians feel? We talk, hey, let's talk about your prayer life. (laughs) What do we all say? Well, I know I don't pray enough. We feel guilty when it comes to prayer, right? Even pastors feel that way. Don't let them fool you otherwise. Because no, no, no matter how much we pray, we can never pray enough. Right? We're called to pray without ceasing. I don't think that means to be hunkered down in a corner somewhere praying all day. Well, then you couldn't even live life. But to be ever mindful of God's presence in our life, and only we can be mindful of that because we have the Holy Spirit. Now, notice likewise, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't know what we should be praying. Meaning we don't know what we ought to. That means content rather than just topics. We know topics to pray. We have the Lord's Prayer. That's a pattern. That's an outline for us. But there comes times in our lives we don't even know what to say. Amen? Okay, uh, let me preface this. This text has nothing to do with speaking in tongues, by the way. Okay? This text has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. This has nothing to do with some unknown babbling prayer language. Nothing whatsoever. People, many in our day, if you just watch Christian, quote-unquote, Christian TV, people love to draw attention to themselves. So they make up some type of babbling as though they're super spiritual heroes or something. So what were you doing? I don't know. I was just praying in the spirit. No, that's not what this means. Seriously. See, as believers, there are things that we ought to be praying for that we don't even know about. We don't even know about. You know what's going to happen tomorrow? You know what's going to happen next week? How about next year? No. We have not a clue. And there's probably no subject that causes more struggle with Christians than the subject of prayer. We lack so much wisdom, do we not? We know the commanded will of God. But we don't know His sovereign will, do we? We do not know the sovereign will of God. We don't know what's going to happen next year. We don't know if, if we're going to be missing one, two, three, or four of our beloved brothers or sisters in this room tomorrow, next week, or next year. We don't know. We may face something tomorrow that will require the utmost courage that we've ever had to stand in. And yet at this moment, we have no idea how to begin to prepare ourselves for that. No idea whatsoever. This is what's called living by faith. We live by faith and we're sealed with the Spirit and enabled by the Spirit to do so. He doesn't leave us alone. Sitting around and just merely remembering our justification is not what he expects of us. It's very important that we do. But we have the Spirit of God to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, to empower us, to enable us, and to intercede for us, as we shall see here. When we don't know what to say, and we don't know how to say it. So you can set your minds and hearts at ease, beloved, with a hope that we'll gain from this what He wants us to know. But the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. This, this translation helps it comes from three Greek words that are co- combined together as one. And it simply means together with, for, to take hold of. To take hold of anything for another. And, and the word speaks of an action of a person coming to another person's aid. And this word is used in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. Jesus is with Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus. Remember that he's in their home. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, which is a good thing. Martha's in the kitchen, rattling pots and pans, which is a good thing. Those are both good things. Amen. Mary says, or Martha says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. That's the idea. As I continue to do this, tell her to help me. So the idea is that, that, that Mary lend a helping hand to Martha. 
He's already doing this work. In the same way, the Holy Spirit indwelling the saint comes to the aid of the believer, not taking over the responsibility of prayer for you, but aiding you. When you have uh, unintelligible words, just groanings within that you can't even communicate, you don't even know what you're thinking. You don't even know how to convey what's deep in your heart. You don't know the trouble. You don't know how to pray. You don't know which way to pray. And he takes it, and he takes it into the throne room of God and makes perfect sense out of it. Because we don't know how to pray according to the sovereign will of God. That's our weakness. We're weak. We're so weak. He helps us in our weakness. So the Holy Spirit works in us by interceding for us with divine eloquence. Perfect interpretation, if you will. Now, we all know that prayer is a blessing. It's a great blessing. It's a great privilege. But prayer is also a problem for us. It's problematic. Because as we undertake what prayer is and what it is to be, we're surrounded by difficulties and we're surrounded by distractions. We're surrounded by our own ignorance. The more you grow in Christ, the more you realize how ignorant you are, amen? Simply means you don't know. Wow, I really don't know, do I? I thought I knew, but I really don't know. And that's the spirit teaching that you don't know as you learn more. And the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. That's part of growing in grace, amen? Okay, we're talking about an infinite God here. We're finite. He's infinite, which means we'll always be learning. Even when you're glorified, you'll never stop learning because he's infinite. So may we not stick our chests out too far while we're down here thinking we know so much. Amen. You can love your doctrine and be a doctrinal hound. Okay, that's good. Doctrine's important. But may we not be prideful in it. Amen. Now, we know we're weak. Sometimes we're physically weak. We know that the disciples were physically weak, mentally and emotionally weak, when they were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And and Jesus comes to them as they were overtaken in their physical frailty here. And he said, says in uh, Matthew 26, 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. You ever fall asleep praying? (laughs) I got to tell this little story real quick. My wife and I were praying one night. And her and I have been praying together before. Like I would doze off. Like I would pray and then she would pray. And as she's praying, I would doze off. And you, get, you hear a little, like that, one of those things. And I always apologize for petering out. Because Peter fell asleep. That's where you get petered out. He petered out. I petered out on you. I fell asleep while you were praying. I was physically weak. I was tired. Now, this is certainly a weakness of ours, but... Paul's not referring merely to physical weakness here. Nor is he talking about sin here. Here, weakness is weakness, and weakness here is not sin. Weakness is weakness. We're all weak. But here, weakness is not sin. Now, we we know we're all sinners, amen? And we know that unconfessed, unrepentant sin will affect our communing with God. I mean, King David said... If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 
That's why it's important to confess our sins and to repent and and, and trust, and trust ourselves to him that he's faithful and just to cleanse us. And we move on by faith. To Israel in Isaiah 59, he says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you, you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Okay, that's unrepentant sin. Will affect our communing with God. But still, that's not what Paul's referring to here. But merely weakness grounded in our humanity. Weakness can be physical. Weakness can be mental. Weakness can be emotional, but it's not so much the physical that Paul is thinking of here. He's thinking of a particular burden. He's thinking of a particular struggle. That is not knowing what we ought to pray in a given situation. We all understand something of this. I mean, we know what we ought to pray, but we don't know quite what to say. Many times. We don't know whether we should pray for this, that, or the other with regard to this situation, with regard to these people. We're so uncertain. Knowing the will of God is one thing. Submitting to it is a, another thing altogether. Now, we've been given direct understanding of God's commanded will. It's very clear. But again, His sovereign will, we're not certain. We just don't know. So we fall into this dilemma of uncertainty, of struggle, of fear, and of turmoil. Now, the next question is, who's groaning in this text? So we come here and there's this groaning, this uncertainty. Commentators are split on this. Some think it's, it's, it's us, it's we who are groaning. Others say, well, it's the Holy Spirit groaning. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, speaking of this groaning, said, quote, The Godhead does not groan. It is inconceivable for any reason, end quote. Others say that a groan is appropriate to burden bearing, and the Spirit is bearing this burden, so it's him, it's he that is groaning. Personally, I don't believe it's the third person of the Godhead groaning here. Whose groaning is the people of God. He speaks, the third person of the Godhead, speaks to the third person of the Godhead, the first person, God the Father, with divine articulation. So I can't see him groaning. But here he is indwelling the believer, and when we groan, when we sigh, we don't know what to pray. The groan is of the Holy Spirit for certain. The groan is of the Holy Spirit because he understands you, he knows what's troubling you, and at the same time, he knows what the perfect will of God the Father is because he himself is God. You get it? Did did I confuse you or help you? I hope. So he intercedes by vocalizing the unintelligible groan within. This is what he's doing. Especially, if you think about this, especially when we're struggling through life with intimate concerns of others, perhaps regarding the very condition of their soul. Right? The condition of their soul. And this weakness becomes so clear Some of you have unconverted children. Some of you have unconverted adult children. They were raised in the truth, raised in the church. They've gone out into the world, and they now deny Christ. Probably because they love sin so much. I mean, who knows the motives behind it all? So here you are, you're praying for them. 
You might have a spouse that's an unbeliever. And you're burdened with this. You don't even know how to communicate to God. You want him to be saved. You want him to come to understand the love of God in Christ Jesus made manifest through the cross. And you want them to love Jesus in return. You want them to understand so that they can love God knowing that he first loved us. But you're torn. Because they all of a sudden find themselves in a jam. They're in trouble. They're in deep trouble. Could be physical trouble. Could be emotional trouble. And deep down as a believer, you know that sometimes God brings trouble to bring this person, people, to the end of themselves. So this is your loved one. Do, you, do I pray, Lord, your tears well up in your eyes and, and, and you're beat down and, and, and they might die. And do you pray, Lord, please spare them this trouble. But yet knowing how he may work, you say, Lord, bring it on. But you love this person, so now you're really torn. Now it's easy to pray, Lord, break them. When there's not a deep emotional connection. When it's your loved one, now what do I pray? I don't know what to pray. You get it? You groan within. You don't know how to articulate what's going on because you don't know the sovereign will of God. Troublesome, isn't it? Here is where we don't know how we ought to pray. You know, we hear trouble. They're in trouble. Your, your heart skips a beat. You know, the feeling in your stomach is though it drops to your stomach. You feel nauseous. It's because of this connection, this love. But all the while, the Holy Spirit is there, friends. You groan. You don't know what to say. He takes those prayers, and as uh, J.I. Pracker said in his book, Prayer, he fixes them on the way up. (laughs) He fixes them on the way up. He renovates the groanings into prayer that is according to the will of the Father, because we don't know. We don't know. Carrying these prayers into the presence of God the Holy Father through the finished work of God the Holy Son by God the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a Trinitarian activity. Prayer is not just you and God. It is not. Now, we all know most certainly that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? That doesn't mean you just throw it on the end of a prayer and and now it's heard. Okay, we are only saved by the merit and worth of Christ. It's according to his work and his worth that we're not condemned. We're brought into the family of God. We're adopted sons and daughters of God. We therefore now have access to God through the mediation of Jesus Christ. but not without the Spirit. We don't pray without the Spirit. Ephesians 2.18, For through Him, Christ, we have our access in the Spirit to the Father. It's a Trinitarian activity. See, we leave the third person out so often. Of everything, including prayer, including salvation. So the very petitions that we raise to Father, the Father through the Son, are assisted by God the Holy Spirit, the Helper, So this is not a question of how to pray, but again, what to pray. We're torn. We're troubled. 
we grieve, we groan. And then our last point is the perfect interpretation. The perfect interpretation of spiritual of the spiritual groan. Or you could say spirit-corrected prayer. Spirit-corrected prayer. Verse 26, we do not know what we... Sh- what we are to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I believe it's you that's groaning. It's me that's groaning. Interceding, verse 27, according to the will of God. This is what he's helping us to do, to pray according to the will of God, beloved. To the will of God and not the will of our flesh. Right? Because if it was left to us, as John Owen has said, without the Holy Spirit's special aid, we would aim only at self, our own profit, our own ease, and our own satisfaction. Do you think he's fair in that analysis? Come on now. Absolutely we would. Many times our prayers aren't seeking the will of God in these things, and I know it from experience. Lord, please, 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 please do this. Please, 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 please do this. Do this, do this. Please, please, please. And at the end, if you sit and contemplate, what did I just pray? (laughs) Wow, I'm super selfish. I didn't even have his will in mind at this moment. That's just me talking. James tells us, James 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Now, in a broad sense, we do know what to pray, right? As outlined in the Lord's Prayer. Perfect pattern for prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, may your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that your will is done in this church, through this church, in my life, through my life. Now, we pray those things, but when the rubber meets the road, uh, I think we get off track. But the Spirit is here. He never gets off track. You see the love of God for you, beloved? The love of God in redeeming you. The love of God in sealing you. The love of God in sustaining you. The love of God in enabling you even to commune with God himself by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's love. All of salvation is the love of God. This is our problem. We sometimes just don't know the particulars of prayer and what we ought to be praying. But here the Holy Spirit comes and provides perfect interpretations of our inarticulate groans. Rest in this. Amen? Verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what, the mind of the, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He's telling us that the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit who's interceding. He knows the mind of God. The Spirit does because he, again, he is God. God is in you. He's in us. He's in us. That's amazing. So even though your mind is baffled, even though your mind is perplexed, not knowing what to think, not knowing how to think, not thinking wisely over some complicated matter, you can rest assured, beloved, God knows. And as you groan within, keep on groaning. Here's my loved one, but Lord, but Lord, my loved one. Oh, I know. He knows. I know, son. I know, daughter. Keep, keep going. 
keep going. You don't have to get frustrated and go, man, I, don't even, I can't even articulate my prayer. Don't trip. He's fixing them on the way up. Now, we obviously want to grow to know how to pray according to Scripture. We want to know how to pray according to the, to the known will of God, the commanded will of God, right? We want to be articulate because we have the Spirit, because we have the truth. But in these matters that we don't know and we, all we can do is groan, rest assured. God's will will be done. So we might as well just pray, Lord, your will be done. <laughs> because his will will be done. Because he's sovereign. Does prayer change the mind of God? Anyone with any bit of common sense will say no. Because God doesn't change. We change. He changes us. Does God, does prayer change things? Only because God has ordained that those things are going to change. He's ordained that the change is a coming. Okay? And our prayers are a means to his end because we're in union and communion with God by the residing presence of the Holy Spirit who's there to intercede that God's will be done. We're like in this. We're in this. We have no power. He's the power. He's present and ever-present, sealing you, having sealed you for the day of redemption. And all we will say is, glory, 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 the perfect will of God has been done. Glory. If you struggle like this, you're in great company. Job had no idea what was going on behind the scenes, did he? He had no idea. Now, God doesn't need to trump anybody, but he crushed and trumped Satan. But he took a man and he nearly crushed him. He did crush him. Satan could do nothing outside of what God not only enabled him to do, but commanded him to do, ordained him to do. Job had no answers. All he could do was moan and groan. His friends thought they had the answers, amen? His friends thought they were dead wrong. But God's will was perfectly accomplished through the uncertainty of this man. He even prayed, Lord, I curse the day of my the day I was born. Elijah, courageous, mighty prophet of God, stands before the 450 false prophets of Baal. You remember that story. Courageous. And then Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill him. So he runs. Weak, helpless, in fear. From a woman. Actually, the threat of a woman. Think about that. This mighty man of God. He did not see over the wall. He couldn't see over the wall. He didn't know God's overarching plan. God wasn't done with this man yet. Amen. His will was accomplished through this man. In the midst of his uncertainty. And just imagine all these prayers. God just takes them up and he transforms them into the perfect will of God. Unbeknownst to us at the time. Jeremiah, there's a brother. I love Jeremiah because he preached and hardly a man came to conversion. Isaiah is called to preach. How long do I preach? Until they no longer believe, basically. Until they're hardened in their unbelief. How about that? There's a ministerial call for you. 
In Jeremiah 20, he curses the day he was born. He begs God, Lord, just take me out. Kill me. Okay? And then you go on to read the rest of the prayer. You can just imagine God just takes this prayer. The Holy Spirit takes this prayer, transforms it, conforms it to the perfect will of God, and the perfect will of God was accomplished. It was accomplished. David, Mark read from Psalm 13, all he can get out of his mouth is, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And that's what you pray. How long? How long? How long? You pray that? How long? How long? There was troublesome times in my life I'd wake up and go, God, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to pray. And his will is worked out. Three times, Paul, the great apostle, who's writing this, he prayed that God remove the thorn in his flesh. God said no. God always answers prayer. He answers yes when it's according to his will and no when it's not. That's what he does. He's God. We're not. He's sovereign. So we've all been beside ourselves. Amen? We've been beside ourselves, not knowing how we ought to pray, not knowing which way to pray. So may we, beloved, realize that God provides two continual works of intercession for us. Jesus, who provides us access into the throne of grace, who provides us a position of righteousness because of his work and because of his worth because of his life, because of his death. And we also have an intercession in our hearts who takes all those unintelligible words and groans and moans and fixes them and presents them to the Father according to his perfect will. This is how concerned he is for you. This is the work of the Spirit for those who stand in the no condemnation category who are in Christ. That's grace, friends. That's love. This is like having a really good Lord. You ever been in trouble? Yours truly has been in some trouble. And there's nothing like having a good lawyer when you're in trouble. This is before I was saved, by the way. There's nothing like having a good lawyer, someone who's your advocate, advocate, someone who can state your case better than you can. Because your words will get you into nothing but trouble. Oh, I don't need a lawyer. Oh, yes, you do, because your mouth gets you into enough trouble as it is and will only get you into more trouble when you enter in front of the judge. That's right. You need someone who can plead and argue and defend you, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's greater than the greatest lawyer in the world. He's the third person of the Godhead. You must believe in the Trinity to be saved. Either you're really confused if you don't believe in the Trinity... Perhaps you're saved and you need to come to understand that that God is triune. He's one God manifesting three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if you don't believe in the Spirit, then you're going to have problems with the deity of Christ. The regenerating work of the Spirit. God Almighty on the throne of the Father. So this ought to encourage us to pray. This ought to encourage us to pray more according to the scriptures. May we pray what we do know according to the scriptures. It's kind of a Deuteronomy 29, 29 thing. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may, all, that, that we may do all the words of his law. So no, we don't know the sovereign will of God. We can persevere 
and we pray and we moan and we groan and we can trust the Holy Spirit that our prayers will be answered according to the perfect will of God. You see? You see how he's involved, friends? This is a blessed hope. I've been so blessed by this, so reassuring. You're in the presence of God all the time, constantly, because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why we mustn't quench the Spirit. That's why we mustn't grieve the Spirit. And when we do, let us confess and let us repent and let us move on by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So be assured. The Holy Spirit, as I close, confirms and assures your salvation. He seals you unto glory. He guarantees your arrival on the day, whether you die or whether he returns. He he reassures, he confirms it and assures you of that. The Holy Spirit leads you, he guides you in accordance to the word. The Holy Spirit convicts, again, he never condemns. He convicts us of our sin because we're in Christ. The Holy Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds of the body. And in the process, we grow in Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit grants you the privilege to cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. That's a privilege for those that are in Christ. That provides you confidence that you can draw near to the throne of grace. And then he interprets He clearly articulates our groans when we have not an idea what we ought to be praying about. May the Lord bless his word to your hearts today. May God bless you as we do not neglect to understand the person and work of God, the Holy Spirit, for the glory of the Father through the redeeming work of the Son. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, your, your word is truly uh, overwhelming. Uh, we are uh, certainly a weak people. And we ask, Lord, that you, according to your grace and the ministering of your Holy Spirit in us, to us, that the, the very life of Christ would be made manifest more greatly through us. For the glory of you, our dear, heavenly, mighty, holy Father. Lord, as we grow to understand the height of your holiness and the depth of our sin, may we grow to see more greatly the work of our mediator who grants us access and a right position as as children of you, the Most High, as well as the uh, intercessory work of the Holy Spirit who resides within us. We thank you for your word, your glorious truth. We thank you for this body of believers. And uh, may you empower us, Lord, to live lives worthy of the calling as we persevere by faith. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior.